Would you turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 16? Acts the 16th chapter. We studied this in Sunday school, and I was planning to preach on it this morning and tonight. <laughs> Brother Wendell Walker came this morning, and wasn't that a great message he brought? Really powerful. And I just felt impressed to ask him to preach, and uh, I've been wanting him to come for a long time. Wendell is a great man of God, loves the Lord with all of his heart, he's done a wonderful job everywhere he's gone, done a great work, and uh, he loves the Lord. And I'm so thankful he preached to us this morning. I'd planned to preach on this subject this morning. Very simple text. I want to, before we get into it, I want to thank you for praying for us, please, during that revival meeting in Mississippi. God used your prayers. We had a good meeting. God blessed. It was a full house every night. A number of people were saved. We give God the glory for that. And uh, I know you prayed. I believe God answered your prayers. I believe God answers prayer, and we ought to just thank Him for it. I want to thank Him for another personal answer to prayer. I've been having some car trouble, and I think last Sunday night I asked you to pray for my car. I don't know whether that's scriptural or not. And, and uh, it had begun to make a big noise on Saturday night and Sunday morning, and uh, one of our men said it was missing, and, and I, you know, I didn't know. I don't know much about cars. I just drive them so they won't drive anymore. And so Monday morning, when I got ready to leave, the power all went out on. And I was driving down the bypass, getting ready to go, and uh, w went into the filling station. They checked the battery, and they checked, said it's not charging, it's, it's just totally dead. You can't get anything out of it. You better take it to a leachman and get them to do something for it quick. Well, I knew I didn't have time to do that, so I drove it over to the side of the filling station and just gunned it as hard as I could and prayed as hard as I could. I said, Lord, this is yours. I don't have very long to get there. I've got to get there, and I'm going to go. And I drove down the road and never had one more minute's problem. Not any. Not any the whole time. Not any at all. Didn't even make a noise. So I think God answered your prayer. And I just wanted to tell you that. <laughs> and I'm thankful. Thank the Lord for that. Let's have a word of prayer together, please. Our Father, we thank Thee for this time to study the Bible. Thank You for the wonderful music we've had tonight. and The way Bob caused us to worship You as we think about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that makes salvation possible. We thank you, Father, for everyone in this place. May the Holy Spirit move in spiritual power and anoint us. Anoint our hearts that we might hear from heaven beyond the words of the preacher. And may the Lord speak to us. We thank you for this time, this opportunity. And Lord, if there's one person here tonight who is not sure of his salvation, we pray that the Holy Spirit will touch that heart. In the name of Jesus, amen. <clears throat> You've read this chapter today if you were in Sunday school. I want to just give you a little bit of it, beginning at verse 25, Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And remember, they were in stocks. They had been beaten for winning this little slave girl to Jesus. They had been beaten publicly and thrown into prison, and the prisoner, hard-hearted man, took them and put them in the inner prison like a dungeon and just threw them in there. Didn't try to bathe their wounds or anything. And at midnight, several hours later, if I take it right, Paul and Silas prayed 
and they sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed and the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had been fled but Paul cried with a loud voice saying do thyself no harm for we are all here then he called for a light and sprang in and and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said sirs what must I do to be saved and they said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house and they spoke unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he and his and his immediately and when he had brought them into his house he set food before them and rejoiced believing in God with all his house in my way of thinking this chapter is probably the pivotal chapter of the book of Acts and of everything that happened after Pentecost because it was at this place in this chapter the gospel turned westward and came to us Paul and Barnabas had had a cleavage over young John Mark I asked in our Sunday school class this morning who, who how many of you think Mark how many of you think uh, Paul was right or how many of you think uh, uh, Barnabas was right and uh, some thought that Paul was right uh, Barnabas was right others still through the years have thought Paul was right I don't know who was right maybe they were both right Paul felt that Mark was not yet ready to go on that second missionary journey he had deserted on the first one Barnabas saw gold in Mark's life and said we want to take Mark because I believe Mark is profitable for the ministry God's going to use him and uh, Barnabas was a good man full of the Holy Ghost and wherever he was much people were added to the Lord now you couldn't say that Barnabas was a bad uh, that Paul was a bad man he was a good man too full of the Holy Ghost and much people were added to the Lord wherever Paul went so here were two good men and they had a cleavage over whether to take John Mark and uh, Paul said we can't take him so Barnabas the contention was so sharp that Barnabas and Paul divided and Barnabas took Mark and went down to Cyprus we never read anything more about Barnabas good man precious man don't read anything more about him but years and years later we read a lot about Mark God let Barnabas just pour his whole life into the man Mark and when Paul was about to go to his death he was in a Roman prison alone and he wrote to Timothy and he said bring Mark he is profitable to me for the ministry and later it was this John Mark that wrote the gospel according to Mark well Paul and Barnabas divided and Paul took Silas and went on the second missionary journey they went over into Lystra that is the place where on the first missionary journey Paul had been stoned left for dead and it was in that city that Timothy lived and his and Eunice and Lois his mother and grandmother and <clears throat> there in that city uh, Paul challenged young Timothy who had been saved in all probability on that first missionary journey 
He challenged him with the commands and demands of discipleship, and Timothy yielded to the Lord and began to work with Paul and Silas. And now uh, they go up through Asia Minor. If you look at the map up there, you can sort of visualize it. They go up, and Paul wants to take the gospel up toward uh, Asia, Asia Minor, and up toward the Black Sea, and up toward uh, Russia, and over in that area. And the Holy Spirit says, no, don't do that. That's, that's not time yet. And so they, they went on, and then he wanted to go to Bithynia. And uh, the Spirit of God said, no, don't do that. Isn't it interesting how God sometimes moves in on us and says, don't do certain things, and doesn't really tell us why. He doesn't tell us why, but it's so he can prepare us to, to do something else. And so Paul, uh, accepting that as a closed door, and the Lord said, don't do it, don't go that way, he obeyed the Holy Spirit and went to Troas, which was on the Aegean Sea. And while he was spending the night in Troas, he had a vision in the night. And he saw a man from Macedonia say, come over into Macedonia and help us. And he assumed that this was the Spirit of God speaking to him through a vision or a dream. And the next day he said, let's go. This is God speaking to us. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke joins them. And in this chapter, we begin to read the first person plural, we. We haven't seen that for a while. Dr. Luke, the beloved physician, joins uh, Paul. And they cross the Aegean Sea and go to Europe for the very first time. The gospel of Jesus Christ being presented to Europe. And they come to the city of Philippi. Philippi was a city named after Philip of Macedon. He was... Uh, one of the great leaders in the fourth century BC. And Philippi was a city named after him and it was like the city of Rome, big, big city. And yet of course not nearly as big as Rome itself, but it was independent in rule and it was a, a tremendously sized city. And there was no church there. There was no synagogue there, apparently not many Jews there. And Paul and Barnabas, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy and, and so on, met out there on the riverbank and uh, won a lady to Jesus. First convert in Europe was a lady. He won that lady to Jesus. And then they went on downtown and they saw a slave girl. And this slave girl was shrieking, there's old Paul and he's here to tell about Jesus. And he, she did this over and over and over again. Well, he didn't need that kind of witness from the devil. It was a woman of divination. It was a woman like a fortune teller, a woman maybe like a prostitute, and full of the devil. And so Paul just turned to her and rebuked the devil and cast demons out of her, and she got saved. Just like that, just wonderfully delivered. But boy, that got up the ire of the, uh, uh, of the other people that were in control of her and making money from her. And they got upset with him. And uh, they began to stir up the officials of the city and they said, these men have come here and are teaching customs that are not lawful for us to believe. And so they arrested them. And then they beat them and whipped them and flogged them openly and cast them into prison. And this hard-hearted Philippian jailer, hard-hearted, he took them. He didn't have to do this. He could have been nice to them, but he took them and threw them in the inner dungeon, closed the doors. Now here are Paul and Silas, probably Timothy, and probably Dr. Luke. They're all in there in that prison. And uh, 
It's possible that just Paul and Silas were there because in a few minutes we just read about a duet, don't have a quartet. And, and here they go at midnight. Everything's dark. Everything's quiet. And everybody's uh, trying to go to sleep, I guess. I don't know what they do in a prison at midnight. Uh, but Paul and Silas say, you know, we got a lot to be thankful for. Oh, sure, our sores are, we, we're sore from all this flogging. And our feelings are hurt because they did it publicly. And, and we feel a little bit in, insulted and so on. But, you know, let's just talk to Jesus about it. And so they began to talk to Jesus, and they prayed, and they began to sing at midnight. He giveth his beloved songs, songs in the night. Listen, there are night times coming in all of our lives. They come. And, and Paul and, and Silas had this. Now, Paul had a tremendous burden in his heart to share the gospel everywhere he went. Reminds me of, of George Whitfield. George Whitfield and Benjamin Franklin lived in Philadelphia at the same time. George Whitfield was a great English preacher. He was an evangelist. You've read about George Whitfield in the revival meetings in England. And George Whitfield came to America. He lived in Philadelphia at the same time Benjamin Franklin lived there. Now Benjamin Franklin was sort of atheistic. And George Whitfield loved him. And he prayed for him and wanted to see him saved. So. Uh, uh, history tells us that George Whitfield wrote Benjamin Franklin a letter. And in the letter, he talked to him about Jesus. He went to great length in the letter to explain how Jesus had died on the cross for our sins. And, and then he said, to, and he said, Mr. Franklin, I want to see you saved. And then, so it wouldn't be too personal, he signed his name and then put a P.S. at the bottom. And he said, uh, incidentally, Mr. Franklin, uh, I love Jesus so much that in every letter I try to say something about Jesus. That'll explain my personal word to you. Well, that impressed Benjamin Franklin. We do not know whether Benjamin Franklin ever got saved or not, but that shows the concern that George Whitfield had. And I think Paul had that kind of concern about everybody he met, everywhere he went. He wanted to see them saved. You know, I've heard people say, well, you need to wait until the Lord impresses you to talk to somebody. It's wonderful when we can do that. And I think it's, there's really a joy when somebody is so impressed upon our heart that we wait until we have such a burden for that person. We can go to them with great conviction and great liberty. And lots of times that kind of person gets saved. But I believe also God wants us to witness to everybody we can meet, talk to everybody we can find. Now in this message tonight, as we think about the simple question, what must I do to be saved? I want us to think about the telling testimony. The telling testimony that Paul had. Paul would not have made nearly the impact upon this Philippian jailer had he not had a tremendous testimony. The reason the jailer asked the question, Paul and Silas had a vibrant word from God and word to God in the midst of a terrible gloom. How do we react to gloom? How do we react to discouragements? God knows how I act and react, and some of you know, I get discouraged sometimes. I, I find that as the years go by that it's easier for that to happen. And I get some depression sometimes, have to battle with it, and take it to Jesus over and over again. How do we react to depression and to discouragements and the problems that come? There are heartaches in the work of the Lord. Some of you in this room have suffered some physical affliction. You know the heartaches of it. 
Some of you in this room have had financial difficulties. You know the heartaches of that. Some of you in this room tonight have had somebody very, very precious to you just taken out of your life. And you know how, how much that hurts. Some of you by home problems. Some of you by death. And it hurts. How do you react? Do you go in a closet and just, just become a recluse and, and stay away from everybody? Paul and Saul, Silas had a tremendous burden on their hearts. They had been whipped publicly. They had been insulted publicly. They had been offended and, and uh, without any cause. This dear little slave girl got saved. Precious girl who had been so filled with the devil that everybody recognized she was filled with the devil. And she was delivered from all that. And for that, Paul and Silas got whipped publicly. But they had a telling testimony. At midnight, they started singing. People are always watching us to see how we're going to react to the problems of life. And I'm sure that jailer was shocked out of his boots when about midnight he heard, Rock of ages, cleft for me. Only there was a duet. I don't know what, whether Paul sang melody and, or Silas sang the alto or whether uh, Silas sang the bass and, and Paul sang tenor, or maybe they were both off key, rock of age. I don't know how they sang it, but they were singing about Jesus. And they were filled with the Spirit of God. And then suddenly, right in the midst of that, there was a great earthquake, and brah, all the prison walls were broken, and the gates came undone. And I do not know how to explain why the rest of the prisoners didn't run. I think they, there was the fear of God in that place that night. I think it was just the reverential awe of God that took place right in that prison that night. And the other prisoners there just stayed where they were. And this man came running out. And uh, he knew that at dawn the next day if his prisoners were gone, he would have to pay for it with his life. So he came out with a sword. He's going to kill himself. And Paul said, wait a minute. Don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. We're all here. We're not going anywhere. We're right here. Now the testimony behind Paul's life is what got into that Philippian jailer. And that's what led to that unusual question. Dr. Tom Malone is one of God's great men, preaches in Pontiac, Michigan. If you ever go there in that town, go to that church and visit it. Tom Malone and his wife, precious, precious couple. I've heard him preach many times. He always moves my heart. Years ago, when their little girl was little, his wife was cooking something on the stove and had hot grease and somehow she got her attention on something else she was doing in the kitchen and the little girl went up and got hold of the handle of that that hot grease and and pulled it over and it just spilled all over her the hot grease just just burned her totally they rushed her to the hospital and stood by her waiting and praying and begging God on Friday, she died. They were brokenhearted, you can imagine. The deacons came by and said, uh, Brother Tom, we'll get a supply for Sunday. We know you don't feel like preaching. Brother Tom said, no, I, I'm going to preach Sunday. I'll go on and preach. His wife was the music director, choir director. They came to her and said, we know that you won't feel like leading that choir. We'll get somebody to substitute. And Mrs. Malone said, no, I, I'll go on and do it. I'll do it. Sunday morning they went in there, 
The choir sang beautifully. Dr. Malone stood up and preached. Preached like he hadn't preached in a long time in the power of the Holy Spirit and some people were saved that afternoon. They went up on the hillside and buried their little girl. Beautiful little white casket. Lots of folks from the city came there to see that. That night, Brother Tom was back in the pulpit and his wife was back there leading the choir. And the place was filled that night. And when Dr. Tom Malone gave the invitation, there was an old man that had been a mocker who had made fun of the church. He'd been atheistic all of his life. He didn't care anything about God and he didn't care anything about the church and he made fun of all the preachers. He came and when the invitation was given, he walked down the aisle among about a hundred others, walked down the aisle. And he said to one of the deacons, I want to see if God can do for me what he's done for Tom Malone. I want to see the kind of God that can make a man do what he did today in the face of such tragedy. I want to know, do we have a telling testimony like that? Do we have the kind of testimony in the face of adversity, in the face of affliction, when everything goes wrong, that we can just keep on singing a song in the night and keep on going? Or do we give up? Do we throw in the towel? Do we just quit? The telling testimony was behind that wonderful question. And then I want us to secondly see the impressive inquiry. The impressive inquiry, what must I do to be saved? That's what that Philippian jailer asked. We know what you're like, Paul. We know what you're like, Silas. I don't know how you got like this, but what must I do to be like you? What must I do to have what you have? That's what he was asking. And I want to ask you, does the, do the people we meet day by day say that? Do they say, what can I do to have what you have? What must I do to be like you? I think that's what that man was asking. I do not think that he would have asked the question had it not been for the unusual testimony in the life of Paul and Silas in the midst of affliction and hurts. Now, Augustine years and years ago was a wayward man. And you know about the story about his mother Monica following him from city to city and praying for him. And one day Augustine who had been in rebellion came to a juncture in his life and he was had been attending a revelous type thing and he stepped out on the veranda and it seemed like something inside of him said to pick up and read and he looked down and there was a portion of a scroll and he picked it up and he opened it to that passage in Romans awake thou that sleepest it is high time to awake out of sleep for now is your salvation nearer than when you believed and on and on he went. And, and Augustine that night asked that same question. What must I do? What must I do? And I think it was the prayer and the moving heartbeat of his mother that prayed for him week after week and month after month and year after year until Augustine was willing to meet Jesus. Let's never give up on prayer. Prayer is the mightiest weapon in the universe. Just because you haven't had your prayer answered yet doesn't mean God isn't going to answer it. Keep on praying, keep on praying, keep on believing, keep on begging God. Put those names before Him. 
dear mother came forth here, here this morning in this service and with tears prayed for her daughter and her son. She's back again tonight. Don't ever lose those tears. Don't ever lose that time of prayer. Pray because God will answer. Now notice this was a personal question. The man asked, what must I do? What must I do to be saved? It always has to be like that. There has to be such conviction in a man's life that he says, what must I do? If you're here tonight and you're not saved, the question must come, what must I do to be saved? And until that question comes, a person isn't going to get saved. Now, it may be an unconscious, a subtle type thing, but that's where the question originates. In the heart, as the Holy Spirit puts it there, what must I do to be saved? It was an imperative question. There was no other way to be saved except there come that question, what must I do? The Holy Spirit put that there. What can I do to be saved? And that inquiry led him to ask Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas, I've seen something in your lives. Now what must I do to be like that? What must I do to be saved? And if you're here this evening and, and you've, you've wondered, you've heard all that singing and You've seen Christians, uh, you heard them give testimonies, and you've seen them react to adversity with spiritual power, and you've wondered, what must I do to have that? What kind of, what do I need to do in order to, for me to meet the hurdles of life and the burdens of life and the problems of life and the sin problem of life? What must I do to be saved? I'm not sure that that Philippian jailer understood all about what he was asking. How many of you, I won't ask you to lift your hands, but how many of you really understood all about being saved and everything about it when you asked Jesus, what must I do to be saved, or when you invited him into your heart? I don't think I did. I think there were lots of things I didn't understand. Matter of fact, when I went forward that night in a service, if the preacher had asked me to give a testimony, or had asked me anything, I don't know what I'd have done. He didn't even ask what I usually ask. I just went down and said, Dr. Gibson, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior tonight. He didn't give me the third degree and open the Bible and pray with me and have people gather around or anything like that. Now, I believe in that, but he didn't do that. We didn't have any mourner's bench. and He didn't go to great lengths and explain everything. Of course, he'd been to my home and explained it, but I didn't trust Jesus there at home. Uh, but the Holy Spirit made me aware. And I'm going to tell you, if you're here tonight and you're not sure how to be saved, how to have salvation, how to have forgiveness and cleansing, and how to have what others here have, just ask. That's what this man did. He said, what must I do? What must I do to be saved? I suppose maybe he thought Paul was going to give him a long list of things. You can't do this, you can do this, you don't do this, and you do do this. He was, he was in for the surprise of a lifetime. The authoritative answer is my last point tonight. The authoritative answer. Paul did not go into a theological diatribe. He didn't give a long discussion about all the Old Testament and all the New Testament. and all the, He didn't even talk about the deity of Jesus. I don't think he talked about the inspiration of the Bible, though I believe that's important. You know I believe that. He didn't do any of those things. He just simply said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I don't know whether that Philippian jailer knew much about Jesus or not. There's some evidence that he didn't. There, was, there had been no preaching in Philippi, if I understand the record correctly. There'd been no preaching until Paul got there. And then it was a very minute little group. Uh, there wasn't a Jewish synagogue there. And we're not told that the Philippian jailer was even Jewish in his background. Maybe he was a Gentile. I don't know. But he asked 
that piercing question, what must I do to be saved? And Paul just told him. He gave a very simple answer. Now, I think that Paul was the Plato and Socrates of his day. Years before that, Plato, the great philosopher, uh, he lived in Athens, and he had a sign on his door. He was much in demand. He said, let no one enter who is ignorant of geometry. Nobody could get in to Plato who didn't know geometry. Isn't that interesting? If you didn't know geometry, you'd been out with Plato. He couldn't have, you couldn't, he couldn't help you at all. You couldn't even get in to see him if you didn't know geometry. He had a sign that on the, on the window like that, on the door. What he was doing was, was uh, thinning out the men and the boys. He, he wanted to spend his time dealing with people who were serious. And in those days, anybody that was really serious, a serious student, would know geometry. And geometry and philosophy are somewhat akin because of their uh, logic and so on. Isn't it interesting Paul didn't do anything like that? He just said to an ignorant Philippian jailer, here's what you have to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Chrysostom, who lived in the fourth century, said salvation is so simple. It is so simple that you can be saved at home. Now you imagine that silver-tongued orator saying that? Chrysostom, who preached, and God used him in such an unusual way. And he was trying, of course, always to fill his church, and the church was always filled, but he said, you could be saved at home. Salvation is so simple. And that's what Paul was saying to this man. He said, uh, it's not reformation, it's not education, it's not self-evaluation. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not trying to change. It's not doing the best I can. It's not joining the church. It's not getting baptized. It's not saying, I'm going to get better. He said, there's a very simple formula for being saved, Mr. Jailer. That is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now, there are a lot of, a lot of other scriptures that Paul could have used. For example, Matthew 1.21 says that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 10, 26 says, who can be saved? Luke 19, 10 says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 7, 50, thy faith hath saved thee. John 3, 18, the Son of Man came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John 12, 47, I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 16.30, what must I do to be saved? And Paul simply said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Well, that's too simple, Paul. That's too simple. There's more to it. You must understand more than that. I don't understand what you're talking about. And Paul said, you're trying to make it too complicated. It's just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what illustration like this but he said see that chair yeah I see the chair well does it hold me I believe it can hold me no it's not holding me what do you have to do to get it to hold you he used to sit in it so Paul just sat on it he said now it's holding me that's what it means to believe that's what salvation is all about it's, it, means, it simply means trust Jesus 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I believe the littlest child can believe on the Lord. I believe the oldest man can believe on the Lord. You do not have to understand a lot of theology. I believe we ought to after we're saved. But I would dare say most people, when they get saved, do not understand a whole lot about it. They just simply know they need something they don't have. And they cry out, what must I do to be saved? Some people say, well, go get baptized. Somebody else say, go join the church. Be sure you get in the right church. Or give up this or quit that or start something else. But if they'll go to the Bible, they'll read, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. And the house. And the house. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean everybody in your house is going to get saved just because you get saved? No, I think it's what he's talking about. If you read on down here, what really happened was that that man got saved and he got his whole household together and they all listened. It's, it just says it pointedly that they, they all uh, heard the word and, and uh, Paul began to t- tell them the word of the Lord. And to all that were in his house, he gave that message. And, uh, and every one of them believed on God that night. You don't want to know why I think they did that? Because I think that, was a, that Philippian jailer was sort of a tough guy. And he had his whole house in, uh, in, in order. And he, uh, his folks, his family believed in him. And here was this man that had just sudden change. He'd been a hard-hearted man. He had thrown Paul and Silas into the inner dungeon and, and hadn't done anything to help them. And then suddenly his heart gets changed and he says, what must I do to be saved? And they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And, and the man takes Paul and Silas that same night. You know what happens? An amazing result. A remarkable result. A few hours earlier, he just threw him in the dungeon. Now, his heart's been changed. He gets out there and washes their wounds. As it were, he washes their feet. He ministers to them. He loves them. And that same hour of the night, he got baptized. Did that baptism save him? A thousand times, no. But I want to tell you, one of the evidences that he was saved, he wanted to be baptized. I cannot understand a person getting saved and saying, I know Jesus and I know he commands me to be baptized, but I'm just not going to do it. I ain't going to do it. I want to tell you, even if you're scared of water, if you know the Lord and he saves you, you'll want to be baptized. I believe that. And if there's some other reason, maybe somebody in your family feels like you're not ready or you ought not to do it. There's going to be that, that something inside that says, I still want to do it. I still want to do it. I want to, I want to be baptized. Now, that baptism hasn't saved anybody. It never will. It never can. In a few moments, you're going to see somebody baptized. And, and when they go down in the water, they're going to picture this is what Jesus did for me. He lived and he died and was buried and he arose again. He did it for me. Secondly, it's going to say, I personally have died to an old life of sin. I've been raised to walk a new life with Jesus. I'm a new person. No matter how old I am, I'm a new person. And then thirdly, it says one day, folks, I'm going to die. There's some fears about death. Death's an enemy. Death is an enemy. But the Bible says one day that last enemy will be destroyed. I look forward to that. And when you're baptized, you're picturing one day you're going to die. But just like God raised Jesus from the dead, he's going to raise you. And you'll be with him forever and forever and forever in heaven. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful place.
throughout all the endless ages face to face with Christ my Savior. And that Philippian jailer got baptized. That same hour of the night, he didn't say, well, I think I'll wait and think it over. Or I think I'm going to wait until all my family can be present. It wasn't anything like that. He said, I want to do that. This, I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm doing it because God wants me to do it. Now, I know baptism is public, but I don't think we need to put it off and wait until we can get the whole family lineage there. We just need to go on and do it for Jesus' sake. I believe in immediate baptism. I believe the New Testament teaches that it's hard to find somebody in the New Testament that got saved that didn't get baptized immediately. Now, of course, we as Baptists try to not do that because we want to be sure that nobody thinks they're, they're saved by being baptized. So therefore, we, we say you come and trust Jesus today and we'll baptize you later. And uh, I, I like the way some of the churches do it. They just, uh, somebody gets saved, they take them back there and baptize them immediately. I think that's what the scripture teaches. Now, if you're here tonight and you've been saved, but you haven't been baptized, God wants you to be baptized, whoever you are. And baptism isn't baptism until it's baptism after salvation. When I was uh, down in, uh, in our revival in Mississippi, there was a, a fine young teenage boy, 16 years old, who said, uh, well, I uh, made a profession of faith years ago, but I wasn't saved, didn't know anything what it meant. Didn't, nobody told, told me what it meant. And he said, uh, I've been in a sin. He said, I, I, I'm trusting Jesus as my Savior. But he said, I got baptized. I told him this. I said, when I was a boy, I used to go out to the creek and practice baptizing people. Did you ever do that? <laughs> and I'd take them down. I'd, say, I'd, I'd seen my pastor do that. And I'd take them down. I'd say in the name. I, I didn't mean to be blasphemous. But I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I did that. And uh, so on. I baptized them. Did that mean they were baptized? Well, I know that was just, I was just playing a game. We were just pretending. Now that's what baptism is if, it's, if you're baptized or immersed before salvation. Salvation comes first. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ first and then you get baptized. And if you're here tonight and you've been baptized before you were saved, you haven't really been baptized. Now the people may think that. The church may think that. The preacher may think it. The parents may think that. But you haven't been baptized until you have been baptized after salvation. And so that's a wonderful truth we learned from that Philippian jailer. That same hour of the night, a, re a remarkable result of his conversion. He said, uh, I'd like to wash your wounds. I'd like to give you something to eat. I'd like for you to baptize me. And I, I, it, it was midnight. It must have been two or three o'clock in the morning by now. And they had preached the word to him that night. And now in the middle of the night, middle of the morning, here these people are, they're crazy, idiotic fanatics. They go down there and get baptized. Well, I believe that's what the New Testament teaches. And God laid that message on my heart. And I just wanted to share it with you tonight. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. <clears throat> Our Father, we thank you for the precious truth. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So simple that any little child can believe. So profound that it takes us a lifetime and maybe all through heaven to understand all that it means. We thank you. Help us, Father, tonight not to stumble on wondering if we understand all about it. But may we just move into it and do what the Bible tells us to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please.
what's our hymn number? 388, number 388. We're going to sing that hymn tonight, 388. 388. Now, as we sing tonight, Jesus is speaking to every one of us. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, this message, so simple, nothing profound about it. I just want to say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And you're going to put your house in a situation where God can deal with your house. And they'll be able to hear the word of God too. And many of them will get saved. If you're not saved, come to Jesus tonight just as you are. If you're not positive you're saved, come to Jesus. If you've been saved but you have not been baptized since you were saved, come tonight and say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to honor the Lord. I'm going to obey Him in that area. Any other way God spoke to your heart tonight, maybe on how to handle discouragement, what to do in the days of gloom, I don't know, whatever God might have said to you, if, if there's some response you ought to make, come tonight and do it. For Jesus' sake, God will help you to do it. While we begin to sing, is there somebody that ought to come to step out for Christ?